I'm Haley Soifer, and this is Drinking and Drashing, Tower with a Twist. And for this episode, we're going to add a few more Ds. We're going to talk about democracy and Democrats. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. I heard that this is one of your favorite portions. It is. Why is that? So there's two big reasons. First, there's so much kvetching in this Torah portion, like just so much complaining. And I think it's kind of funny. But the bigger reason, answer the second, is that this is the Torah portion where we get a glimpse of what happens next. We get a glimpse into the next generation that will lead the people, that will enter the promised land, and how that happens. We learn that Moses won't enter the promised land. We witness the death of Miriam and the death of Moses, and we see the Israelites reckoning uh, with those events. So this is a Torah portion that not only looks back to what came before, but really looks forward. Sounds like they're almost setting up a kind of democratic process. In some ways, sure. Well, I think our guests may have something to say about that. Absolutely. Let's listen in. not every day that you truly get to enact your Jewish values in every single aspect of your life. But for me, it's something that I've had a really, really fun time doing this summer, whether it is going to clinical pastoral education every day, or whether it's trying to still learn how to do a high holiday trope. Sorry, cancer brains are at some point, I'll actually get it down. For us, we're really excited because every week we get at least one opportunity to bring those Jewish values to life, to really see what it means to translate Torah into true tangible tactics, and no more so than today when we get to sit down with two incredible people to talk about what it's like to push past boundaries and to, I don't know, do some smashing of glass ceilings. We are so excited to bring in our 31st episode of Chukat with Haley Soifer and with Stephanie Hausner. Haley Soifer is Chief Executive Officer, CEO of the Jewish Democratic Council of America. For nearly two decades, Haley served as a National Security Advisor to four members of Congress in the Senate and House, as a Senior Policy Advisor in the Obama Administration, as a campaign official, and as a foreign policy expert in civil service. Prior to coming to JDCA in 2018, Haley served as National Security Advisor to then-Senator Kamala Harris and as Foreign Policy Advisor for Senators Ted Kaufman and Chris Coons, both Delaware, and Representative Robert Wexler, Florida. Soifer also served for more than two years in the Obama administration as Senior Policy Advisor to U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power. Additionally, she served in the Bush administration as a civil servant in the State Department's Bureau of Political and Military Affairs. During President Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Haley served as the campaign's Florida Jewish Vote Director. Haley received her master's degree from the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies and Middle East Studies and International Economics, and her bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan Honors College. She's a native of East Lansing, Michigan. And I will say that I have seen Haley Soifer on Zoom singing along with Mandy Patinkin, which was a real treat. Haley, Stephanie, we are so excited to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Drinking and Drashing, Tour with a Twist. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks. Great to be here.
Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. Have you ever just like lost your temper? Yes. Yes, I have done that. And when you've lost your temper, have you done anything that you regretted later? Absolutely. I have to tell you, it's been so hot and so humid that I find myself being a little short-tempered these days, and sometimes I just want to break something. Interesting. Okay. But today I was thinking maybe we might break some records. For instance, like maybe today could be a 27-second rundown for the Parsha summary. Yeah, that's not going to happen. All right. What happened this week for Parsha Hukat? So first up, the ritual of the red heifer. Find a red cow that's perfectly pure and never been worked and give it to the priest. The priest will bring it outside of the camp and perform a ritual involving blood and fire and wood and scarlet stuff. No, I'm not kidding. And water and ashes. This is a thing. It's important. Cool. Purity laws. Touching a corpse makes one unclean for seven days and they must purify themselves using the red heifer's ashes on the third and seventh day. Those who don't do this are cut off from the people. If a person dies in a tent, whoever enters the tent is also impure for seven days. If they died outside, anyone who touches the body or a human bone or a grave is impure for seven days. There's another purification ritual involving more ashes. Now back to the story. The Israelites arrive at the wilderness of Zin on the first new moon and stayed at Kadesh. Miriam dies and is buried there. Without Miriam, the people are without water. They complain to Moses, if only God had killed us too. Why would you bring us into the wilderness just to die here? Why bring us out of Egypt to take us to this awful place? I feel like we've been through this before. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and God appears to them, instructing Moses to assemble the community and, with all of them watching, order a rock to yield water for them and their animals. Moses takes his staff and does as God commanded, assembling the community before the rock. Moses yells out, listen you rebels, shall we get water for you out of this rock? And Moses strikes the rock, not once but twice. Water rushes from the rock and people are satisfied. But God says to Moses and Aaron, because you do not trust me enough to affirm my sanctity to the Israelites, you shall not lead them into the land I promised to them. From Kadesh, Moses sends messengers to the king of Edom, explaining that the Israelites were in trouble and requesting safe passage through his territory. But the king refuses, not once but twice, and so the Israelites turn away from Edom. The community arrives at Mount Hor on the border of Edom. God commands Moses to take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up the mountain. Moses does as God commands, removing Aaron's priestly garments and giving them to Eleazar. Aaron dies there, and Moses and Eleazar descend the mountain. Seeing that Eleazar is now dressed as the high priest, the people know that Aaron has died, and they mourn him for thirty days. When the Canaanite king of Arad heard that Israel was approaching his land, he attacked them and took some Israelites captive. God helps the Israelites defeat the Canaanites, and they name the place Hormah. The people keep walking, but they again complain, Why did you make us leave Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and this food tastes bad. These complaints are getting old. God sends serpents who bite the people, and many Israelites die. The people come to Moses, We sinned against God and against you. Plead with God to remove the serpents. So Moses does, and God tells him to make a seraph figure and mount it on a standard. Anyone bitten who looks at the figure shall recover. So Moses does as God instructed, and guess what? The thing works. So they keep walking through a bunch of places like Ovot and Iye, Avarim, and the wilderness of Moab, and the valley of Zered, and Arnon, and back to Moab, and to Be'er. And God says to Moses, gather the people and I will give them water. Then Israel sings a song, which scholars think may be the oldest text in the entire Tanakh. Spring up a well and sing unto it the well which the princes dug, which the nobles of the people excavated with the scepter and with their staves. 
The Israelites ask another king, Sihon of the Amorites, for safe passage through his land, but no again, and Sihon attacks the people, but Israel wins and takes the land. Then we get another song recounting the deeds of Sihon and his downfall. Israel marches on, and another king, Og of Bashan, attacks them, but God says to Moses, don't worry about it, and the Israelites win again. They march on to the steppes of Moab, across the Jordan from Jericho. That place will be important later. And that's Parashat Chukat. So it's interesting that you talked about the songs because this Parsha, like in particular, makes me think of the Prince of Egypt. And when they sing like, God on high, hear our song. And one of the things I write, my family's Haggadah, and every year I update it a little bit. And that's like one piece that we don't cut out. It's like the Israelites complained and complained and complained. And then I like quote the Prince of Egypt because I feel like it, it brings it to, you know, but this is a, I mean, really big, important Parsha and a lot is going on. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I think when Moshe and Aaron, um, they both also find out from God that they're not going to go into Israel. Um, and is it because of the rock? Is it because, right? There's a lot there. Um, and I feel like it's an interesting lesson in modern day leadership that we'll maybe get into a little bit later too. So I also think of song and it really was, I know Miriam's death is is the beginning of this portion, but Miriam for me is such an important leader and inspiration in many ways. I very fondly remember going to the women's seders in New York with my aunt and my mother led by Debbie Friedman in the nineties and singing Miriam's song. And we, we, we have Miriam's we make it a bowl, but her cup on our Seder plate along with an orange. And it's just such a, an important symbol of women's leadership. So for me, uh, I know I know that this the Parsha goes on beyond Miriam's death, but I think her role should not be forgotten. And in the absence of Miriam, the people don't know how to find the water. Moses has to try to figure out how to get the water. But, you know, I think, I think it just shows the critically important role that she played and that without her, uh, they're looking for leadership. Um, in terms of the, you know, how to interpret Moses striking the rock, you know, I, I read this and, and then that he won't go into Israel. I mean, I read that as accountability in a way. Uh, he, he was wrong and he was being held accountable, maybe as a, also an important lesson in terms of leadership. Haley, I don't know if you can tell, but Gabe kept looking behind him because he has a framed picture of Debbie Friedman in his room. <laughs> God, I love Debbie Friedman. Any opportunity. I, I could have sang Miriam's song for you, but I, I won't. At our Seder, uh, we do have tambourines inspired by Debbie Friedman. Haley, I am so excited that you are here with us and that, that we get to celebrate really this idea of changing lives passionately. And so one of the things that you do is work with the Jewish Democratic Council of America. What is that? What is it that they do? How do they influence lives? So JDCA, as we call it, is a political and advocacy organization. It was founded in the immediate aftermath of neo-Nazis marching in Charlottesville and a president who equated them with peaceful protesters. And 
JDCA has emerged since that time in the past four years to advocate for Jewish and democratic values and support democratic candidates who share those values. In the 2018 midterms and again in the 2020 election, we supported candidates for the Senate, the House, and for the White House and helped to flip the the House, Senate, and of course, uh, presidency from red to blue. So it's uh, incredibly gratifying work. I mean, you mentioned at the outset that my background is in government. I actually never thought I would leave government. And I certainly didn't want Donald Trump to be the reason I did so. But you know, what I realized in 2017 in the Senate in 2018 was that the, the Senate and, and even House at that time, uh, that nothing could actually get passed without changing the composition of Congress and electing those who share my values. So that is uh, a big piece of what JDCA does. And we elect Democrats. Amazing. So connecting that back to you, what drives you? What thing, insight, belief drives your work with the JDCA? Yeah, I mean, I I referred to advocating for Jewish values and supporting candidates who share those values. And and it's important to define what those values are. And of course, this differs for, for individuals. But for me, it's definitely about the pursuit of justice, tzedek tirdov, and equality. I mean, we talked earlier about about the role of Miriam as as a women's leader. And I am one of the few female CEOs in the Jewish organizational world. But equality, these values of pursuing justice and equality are not just Jewish values, but also American values. And in the past five years, we've seen these values under attack. You know, I I live right outside of Washington and and worked on Capitol Hill for many years, and I've never experienced or seen anything like we saw on January 6th when our democracy was under attack. The preservation of that and the preservation of the right to vote is certainly driving our work in this moment to ensure that everyone has the right to vote. And it's it's related to the pursuit of justice and equality. I'm so excited to have just heard you say this, that my reaction was like, oh, I have a follow-up question right away, which doesn't always happen, but it does here. We, I don't know if you know this, our first episode that we recorded was with Rabbi Michael Namath for the Religious Action Center, and it was the week before Election Day because we really believed in everyone's ability to vote. And I have been shocked by how timely all of our podcast conversations have been to what's happening in the world. We just released an episode for Korach, uh, last week's portion, that talked about rebellion. And in that episode, we spoke about what happened with the insurrection on January 6th. And I'm thinking about how your life and the work that you do really parallels this Torah story of there was a huge insurrection, a poorly organized insurrection that people really pushed against the norms of the community. And the community had to come back together after this huge insurrection with a lot of pain and a lot of fallout and a lot of difficulties. And that at some point, as we move forward, our leaders get frustrated and the community starts complaining again and we try to find the holy but it's not always so easy and the work that you do Haley is difficult I think that you make it so that everybody has access to vote that you really try to make sure that everyone's voices are heard and uplifted and I'm also curious with the candidates with whom you work how that 
works with their frustrations and how some of those Jewish values might help you in your work supporting them and supporting your frustrated voters. Yeah, well, you know, in some ways I wish that what started on January 6th was over and that somehow we had overcome that challenge in this country, but unfortunately we have not. We did a lot of work in the 2020 election and it continued through January 5th, which was the Senate runoff in Georgia. And it was only actually the morning of January 6th that we realized that Democrats had taken back control of the Senate. Uh, But what we witnessed that day in many ways has continued in terms of the unforeseen challenges that would define 2021. And I believe we'll go into 2022 in terms of Republican efforts to not just attack our democracy, but truly to suppress the right to vote by exploiting Donald Trump's big lie about the legitimacy of the outcome of the 2020 election to attack the way that we vote. And there are voter suppression laws that have been proposed in 48 states. Many of them have already been enacted. Uh, Some of them will be litigated. We are advocating for a federal effort to protect the right to vote. That is effectively this HR1, which many people have been talking about, or the For the People Act, uh, because what is happening throughout our country is truly an attack on on the right to vote. It's an attack on our democracy. And and yes, it started January 6th. Well, actually, it started before then, but we saw it culminate in the insurrection, but it, it in many ways has continued. When I think about this Torah portion, and specifically when I think about this moment of Moses hitting the rock, and Moses strikes the rock, Moses kills the rock, there's a whole bunch of interesting interpretation things we can go into there. But apparently that's the moment that Moses is no longer eligible. Moses is no longer worthy of leading the people into the promised land, into the land of Israel. And so there are a few different explanations that we come up with. The Torah says... Moses isn't allowed to enter the promised land because Moses failed to affirm the sanctity of God. There is a different explanation, though, in the Midrash that happens to be one of my favorite explanations, um, and it comes from Songs Rabbah. It's a commentary from uh, Rabbi Shimon, and what he says is he references the book of Proverbs, where there's this quote, slander not a servant unto his master. And he says, basically, that because Israel is the servant of God, by yelling out, listen, you rebels, to the people, that was Moses slandering the people to God. So Moses' crime, Moses' sin, wasn't that he hit a rock. It wasn't even that he got angry. It wasn't even that he didn't affirm the sanctity of God. It's that he wronged the people. And so I'm, I'm curious as to how... We can talk about how the insurrection was an attack on democracy, and we can talk about how these voter suppression laws are an attack on American democracy and American values. More importantly, though, I'm wondering how these laws and how the riot or the insurrection or the rebellion or whatever you want to call it affected people. And to that end, I'm wondering how you feel as a person in the political world, as an advocate, as the CEO of Jewish Democrats for America, how you view your work, not just in relation to the preservation of democracy, but to the betterment of the American people. Yeah, well, a lot there, you know, to go back to what I took away from the the Torah portion and whether Moses was wronging 
God or the people, either way, he was being held accountable by not going to the promised land. Accountability is a part of our democracy. And so, you know, it's incredibly frustrating, frankly, to see the lack of accountability that we've seen, even as it relates to the January 6th insurrection. Um, and that's largely the result of the Republican refusal to, to allow for a commission. Um, but we also saw this uh, with regard to the second impeachment of Donald Trump. Again, the Republican refusal to uh, to hold him accountable. But I, I definitely agree that uh, elected officials and leaders in general are accountable to the people. Uh, this is a critical part of our democracy, of, of American values. I, I think the Democrats have demonstrated that. Uh, Joe Biden has demonstrated that. I mean, his vision of restoring the soul of, of our nation is truly about ensuring the, the security and civility and values of our country. And, you know, the way he talks about it is that he was inspired after Charlottesville. I mentioned, I mentioned JDCA too, emerged in that moment. You know, we have seen not just a lack of accountability in terms of our leadership in the past few years, but we've also seen, you know, this rise of extremism and hatred in our country that really is antithetical to who we are. And it's a threat. It's a threat to the Jewish community. We've seen this, this startling and terrifying rise of anti-Semitism. And you know, I, I think that it's important that we continue to ensure that our leaders are accountable, not just to the people, but also to ensuring the safety and security of our communities. And it's not just the Jewish community that's been under attack. Of course, there's been a rise of Islamophobia, of racism. So we at JDCA also see the efforts to combat hate crimes in general and to combat domestic extremism as a way of furthering our values as well. You know, I actually consider Joe Biden's vision of restoring the soul of our nation as a form of tikkun olam. You know, we think of, you can think of the literal, you know, the literal version of this in terms of repairing the world, in terms of trying to protect against climate change. But I also see it in terms of repairing uh, some of the damage that has been done to our country in terms of the rise of extremism and directly combating that. And, and JDCA is certainly trying to further that vision and support his efforts to do so. So in trying to build off visions and, and really trying to have people walk away with something clear, if you had one message to share with our listeners, something that you wanted them to know, feel, or do after listening to this episode, what would that be? What does that sound like? Well, I think it's important to not just hold your elected officials accountable, but to to engage with them, whether it's with your values, your voices, your votes. Uh, to get engaged. And so we, JDCA, we're leading an effort to, to advocate for key issues, specifically protecting our democracy and passing that piece of legislation I mentioned, HR1, to protect the right to vote, efforts to combat extremism and support of Israel. We're going to be going to the Hill and meeting with 80 members of Congress next week. That's one such way to advocate, uh, to join our week of action but also to get involved with efforts to elect those leaders who do share your values, whether they're, you know, it's with JDCA or any other organization. It, it is, 
It is so critical to not just show up to vote, but also to do the hard work between elections to support those candidates and elected officials whom uh, you help to elect, but also to try to lay the groundwork for the next election. So I, I think really engaging with your voices, with your values, and, and ultimately with your votes is, is critical for every American. This is a really exciting moment for me, and my older brother Adam would be oh so proud because he is the one that made the introduction between me and our Q&A guest today. Stephanie Hausner is president of Blue Hudson Consulting Group. Previously, she served as managing director of the Israel Action Network at the Jewish Federations of North America, where she oversaw all federal and state advocacy efforts, campus and community strategy. Stephanie has over 15 years of experience working in the federation system, and she got me involved in the Rockland Leadership Committees in various capacities, including community relations, young leadership, synagogue engagement, and Jewish education. She speaks extensively on Israel, BDS, and anti-Semitism, and is considered an expert in this space. Stephanie recently completed two terms serving as an elected councilwoman in Clarkstown, New York, and served on the Democratic National Committee from 2009 to 2012. She is a seasoned political professional, having worked on a variety of campaigns. Stephanie graduated from Johns Hopkins University with a degree in international relations and a concentration in American foreign policy. Lastly, she was named one of Rockland County's 40 Under 40 in 2010, and in 2013 was included in the Jewish Week's 36 Under 36. Stephanie, it is my pleasure and privilege to pass you the mic. Thank you so much, Amanda. And it's always fun to join some fellow Rockland County uh, residents. People originated there, starting a club. Um, and it's great to uh, speak with you, Haley. So one of the things that actually I was like trying to jump in a few minutes ago um, that Gabe talked about and then Haley's response was talking about how leaders are accountable to the people and what that looks like. And then Haley, you started talking about Georgia and Senate race. And I'm wondering how this is shaping maybe JDCA's action and campaign plan moving forward is, you know, the people kind of seem to, in this runoff election, that it was, you know, not just about the candidates that were running, but it was also um, about Donald Trump and it was about the Republican Party. And if that was the direction that the people of Georgia wanted to move forward in. And so I think it really does connect to this idea of, the leader, you know, how does the leader relate to the people? Are there other places where you're seeing that kind of the, the trickle down, or interesting to use that terminology, but the trickle down of kind of like the Donald Trump effect and places where you see as areas where the Democratic Party may pick up seats or candidates that you're excited about that are kind of moving forward in these spaces? Yeah, well, Georgia Georgia is a great example of people taking agency for change. I mean, the, Georgia for decades was a Republican, you know, it was a red state. And leaders like Stacey Abrams realized that there was a direct correlation between who they were electing and who, of course, was voting. And she sought to expand the electorate uh, by registering, I think it was about 700,000 Georgians in the general election, and then another, I believe, about 70,000 uh, who turned 18 after the November election for the runoff. 
And what a remarkable thing to do. And when you think also about the outcome of that election, the presidential election, the outcome after I think the second recount was like 12,000 votes that Joe Biden won by in Georgia. So obviously those efforts to expand the electorate made a critical difference in Georgia. You know, if you look at the backlash now in terms of uh, Georgia being one of the first states to pass a law that would make it harder for people to vote, and we're not just talking about people, specifically they're targeting communities of color. Uh, when they look at those who, who were able to vote in 2020, uh, it, there's a direct targeting of those communities um, with efforts to even to uh, make it illegal to provide water for people online at the polls and to, um, in some cases, uh, ban voting on Sundays when so many communities of color uh, would, would vote after going to church. You know, these are, these are clearly an effort to engage in targeted voter suppression. But I do believe that we will learn the lessons of 2020, uh, continue to try to expand the electorate to ensure that everyone has the right to vote. And it's important to keep in mind when you're registering new voters, this is not an inherently partisan effort. You're just registering people to vote. You know, continue to try to combat these voter suppression efforts in advance of the 2022 election. It is deeply concerning to see how widespread it is, though. I mentioned the 48 states where these laws have been proposed. There are almost 400 of them, of these laws, and they've been enacted in Georgia, in Florida. And the only thing that stopped it last week in Texas was that Democrats walked out, but it'll it'll likely pass in Texas as well, and there will be more. And so I think it's important for those uh, those Americans who are concerned by this, raise your voices, uh, you know, call your members of Congress, encourage them to pass H.R. Uh, 1 in the Senate, even if it means abolishing the filibuster. And, it, you know, I am a former Senate staffer. Uh, I work for three members of the Senate. I, I believe in the way the Senate has operated, but if it's if it comes down to an arcane and frankly outdated, and depending on your interpretation of it, and in some cases even racist in its origins, Senate procedure versus preserving our democracy, I will choose our democracy. And I hope at least 50 senators will do the same. So touching on, you talked about voting rights and how important they are. And I think historically, the Jewish community has always felt, unfortunately, I think during, and I've been working in kind of a post-partisan sphere for many years now, um, but unfortunately, we've seen that voting rights, right, has become, and you mentioned this, become a, vote, a partisan issue. And even our Jewish community, the organization's that try to spend time on voting rights and working with NAACP and others to push for more voting rights, get pushback that there's a partisanship to it, um, which I think is really unfortunate. And thinking about how do we make it a Jewish issue and kind of continue that dialogue so that people see it not as a partisan issue. Switching gears a little bit because I spend most of my time thinking about Israel and anti-Semitism. The last few weeks, and we saw during the two weeks where the situation in Israel and Gaza, a significant uptick, 80% uh, uptick in anti-Semitism here in the United States. And you talked about expanding the electorate. How do we reach younger Jews, particularly where they're not in the same place as 
their parents or their grandparents when it comes to feelings about Israel, certainly within the Democratic Party, but on anti-Semitism, like what kinds of initiatives, what kind of work, how is JDCA engaging younger people, you know, into Jewish issues through a, a partisan lens? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, certainly it's important to understand that there is a difference of views uh, among younger generations and older generations, including in our own community, about some key issues. And so the first step is is understanding that difference. And we do uh, look at polling and public opinion to understand where the community is, including the prioritization of what issues are most important. And for engaging young people, we, we've created a fellowship. So in the 2020 election, we had 35 campus fellows who unfortunately were not on their campuses, but they, they were in spirit. Uh, but who could have foreseen that, uh, that we would all be stuck in our house for a year, but we created this fellowship and they organized virtually uh, with us throughout the country. We made 700,000 phone calls in the selection to voters. Uh, we engaged 1.7 million voters in 14 states and our campus fellows did a huge piece of that, including we had text messages on top of those phone calls, But um, and they're very good at texting. But we also realized after the 2020 election, this work is, is not done. And we are creating a, a fellowship program that will go beyond elections and is really just about engagement on, on campuses now that we're, we're glad to see people hopefully will return in the fall to their campuses. That is a really new and exciting uh, part of JDCA's work. And it's so critical in terms of engaging with younger people, ensuring that the next generation is, is frankly as engaged as our generation and the generation that came before us. It's really an important aspect of our work. That's so important and so so glad to hear. I feel like I'm, I've been on many college campuses where um, I've encountered Jewish students. And when I was in college, I was president of the College Democrats and president of Hillel and, and our Israel group. And there was never a conflict with any of those identities. And I think college students now, unfortunately, have that, you know, I'm a progressive, I'm a Zionist. And I think having programs that um, are so kind of like putting a, a stake in the ground and saying like, we're Jewish Democrats and we're here and we're going to use our Jewish values is really important to give those young people a voice in the conversation, both on their campus and within the Jewish community. Switching gears totally. I have always been kind of intrigued by the red heifer because it's just strange, right? Like there's this red heifer. It seems like this like magical creature that's out there and like doesn't really exist. And I think and maybe someone will remind like a few years ago, I think there was like this effort like, oh, we might have found a red heifer. And people were like, what? And I kind of like remember when we had a talking fish incident here in um, in New Square, which is not far from me. And it was also kind of similar, like these like miraculous things. What is that kind of um, for you that thing out there that if you could, if JDCA could in 2021, 2022, something that seems like your red heifer or your unicorn out there that you want to happen, you want to, to see, but might right now people think are a little unrealistic. <laughs> I never... 
I never thought of it as a red heifer, but if you're going to put it in that context, um, it really is because, you know, Joe Biden won this election with a remarkable 7 million (laughs) votes. Uh, It was remarkable. But as it relates to the Electoral College, he won by just over 40,000 votes. In the 2016 election, which still I have PTSD, Donald Trump won by a very small margin. It felt very small. And it was just about 76,000 votes when it comes to the Electoral College, including my, my state of Michigan, which he won by just 10,704 votes. And yes, for some reason, I, I can't get over these numbers. But my point here is elections are being decided by a very narrow margin. We're talking about less than 100,000 votes in the past two elections because elections in our country are won or lost by the Electoral College. And it's inherently undemocratic and it's a problem. It really is a problem. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think this was the vision of America that we need to hold on to. I think it, it is in contradiction with what it means to be a democracy. So do I think this is going to happen in the very near term? No, but if we're talking red heifers, it's going to go there. <laughs> so I need my favorite new question is going to be, what's your red heifer? Um, I actually think that might be Gabe's new favorite question. (laughs) I really appreciated this question, Stephanie, because in advance of the podcast, when I was looking at the Torah portion, the red heifer was the one part that I just really couldn't relate to. And, and you actually helped me put it in context. So, uh, consider that to be a drinking and drashing win. It's funny because I remember like coming home from Hebrew school the day we like learned about the red heifer and like saying to my grandpa, like, I don't get it. Like, can we talk about the red heifer? And so I feel like it's like constantly been this thing that I'm like, okay, cool. We're on that again. So all this talk of cows and politics has made me a little thirsty. So today... We are pleased to present for Midrashic Mixology, the double staff on the rocks. For the staff, we're using thyme. We'll start with a thyme simple syrup. A quarter cup of water, quarter cup of sugar, bring it to a boil, remove it from the heat, add eight thyme sprigs, and steep for 15 minutes. Strain and let it cool. Rim a Collins glass with a lime wedge and salt, because the Israelites are pretty salty throughout this entire portion. In a cocktail shaker, combine two ounces of grapefruit juice, freshly squeezed if you have it, with a half ounce of lime juice, half ounce of your thyme simple syrup, and two shots, that's three ounces, of vodka to make it a double. Shake with ice and pour over new ice in your rimmed Collins glass. Garnish with a sprig of thyme for Moses' staff. For a non-alcoholic version, use three ounces of grapefruit juice instead of two, and two ounces of seltzer instead of the vodka. Try out lime seltzer for a little extra sour, or grapefruit for a little extra grapefruit. I'm a fan of the grapefruit LaCroix, which I still mispronounce as Pamplemousse. I am vaguely familiar with several languages, and much like President Bartlett, none of them are French. So instead of beating up a rock, beat the heat with a refreshing cocktail that might even get the Israelites to stop kvetching for like five minutes. L'chaim. Well, that sounds delicious. I might replace 
vodka with a rock because it like rhymes with a rock. Wow. Okay. But also I just really like a rock. It's weird. But um, yeah, that sounds delish. Thank you. Love the suggestion of a rock. Next time. Okay. A few thoughts, Gabe. First of all, I'm a huge fan of everything grapefruit. So I'm with you on the grapefruit. I also call it pomplamoose. Is that not what it's called? I have no idea how it's pronounced, but Amanda laughs at me. Uh, so I'm with you on that. Uh, and I love double staff on the rocks. I think we, that bears repeating here because, you know, I, I assume you do this every week, but to, to directly connect it to the point of the Parsha, well done. Thank you. This has been so much fun and we're at thank yous and closing cues already. We're going to make it short and sweet, unlike, you know, Gabe's drink, which is a little on the sour side, but it's still delicious. Haley, Stephanie, Gabe, Idan, and Hukat, we talk about losing our cool and acting from a passionate response. When did your passions drive you to do something unexpectedly? What did you learn from it? I'm actually going to do something completely out of the blue and I'm starting us off. When I was little... I was in the car with my brother, hello Adam, and he was in the back seat and I was in the front seat and that was a problem. He did not like that. He did something to provoke me. I reacted badly and I kicked out and I broke our babysitter's windshield. It was not good. It was a problem. I reacted badly and my dad came into my room and I just, you know, I was like five. My dad came into my room And he picked up my Dorothy and Toto bank because I had a Dorothy and Toto bank. And he explained to me that I would be paying for the windshield with whatever was in my Dorothy and Toto bank. And I learned the value of a maybe chilling before you uh, a break in someone's windshield, but also that you reap the consequences of your actions. And for me, that was losing the money that was in my Dorothy and Toto bank. Thank you for listening. Haley, we'll switch it over to you. Well, my, okay, my example is not so much about losing my cool as it acting on passions and doing something unexpectedly, uh, but I, I don't regret it, uh, so I'll just start there. It was not uh, about losing my cool, but last, last summer in the midst of the pandemic, um, when I was truly, uh, like everyone else, on lockdown, Uh, There were, and this was in the aftermath of George Floyd's uh, horrific killing in in Minneapolis, there were Black Lives Matter protests in Washington and and throughout so many cities in the United States. And I I didn't join it, frankly, out of fear for, uh, because of the pandemic. Um, And once uh, the protesters were gassed in my town in Washington, uh, in June, um, I could not be kept away. <laughs> you know, this was, if, as you recall, really the height of the pandemic. There was a lot of concern, but I put those two masks on. I went downtown. I protest. I joined a lot of other Jewish Dems, actually, uh, in marching for Black Lives because that's what uh, we believe in. You know, it was an important statement to make. Yeah, I, I don't regret it for one minute, but. You know, if you asked me the year before, would you go protest amid a pandemic? Uh, Maybe not. But in that moment and in the weeks that followed, uh, it was certainly the right thing to do. I 100% agree. Stephanie? 
So mine's a little different. Uh, Four years ago, and I was thinking about this last night, and so that's why it came to me. Four years ago, we had a um, municipal elections here uh, in Rockland County, and I was on the town board at the time. Um, And we had uh, someone running for town board who was fined by the New York Fire Department for racist things he had said then um, as a fireman and was anti-Semitic. He would make anti-Semitic remarks quite frequently um, and really ran a campaign based on fear. So there was a candidate's debate. He starts, he basically does a dog whistle, just mentions um, a Hebrew name. I don't remember the name. It was very Jewish sounding. Um, And to say that, you know, a Jewish person bought this property and therefore kind of like disaster is going to ensue. And I just kind of reflexively screamed out anti-Semite or you're an anti-Semite in the middle of, um, and and Amanda's the only one that'll know where, it was the Conger Civic Association, which is a pretty conservative area, a lot of Trump supporters. Um, And there were these old women that were standing right near me or sitting right near me, and they told me to move back to Muncie. Um, Now, Muncie is a Jewish religious community, never lived in Muncie. I grew up in in New City and lived there my whole life, but I got a lot of pushback from other people in the community about it. And it really showed, I think, who um, who's going to be there for you and and who's going to stand up um, when wrong things are said. And I feel like, especially in the context of the last few weeks, Jewish uh, anti-Semitism being on the rise. Um, and attacks, physical attacks in New York City and LA. Um, the idea of kind of who's who's going to stop the conversation and say like this is wrong and call it out. Um, and I don't regret it. I mean, it was a it was an interesting time, but um, I think it it also shows that if we're not going to speak out, then there's not necessarily going to be someone to speak out on our behalf. I'm glad that you were willing to speak up for what you believed in, Gabe. How about you? Well, as many of our listeners know, my background academically is mostly in religious studies, in theology, in text study. And so it surprised a lot of people when uh, I chose um, to apply for cantorial school as opposed to rabbinical school. Being where I am today, um, I don't regret it. I don't regret that decision to pursue the cantorate as opposed to the rabbinate. And the reason I did it was 100% because of passion. Because even though text study and philosophy and theology is where my academic, you know, cerebral interests lie, um, my passion really is in the music. And that's where I feel most connected to my Judaism and to religion and spirituality. Uh, So no, I don't regret it. Um, and I've learned a lot about myself and a lot about the Jewish people because of it. And we're lucky for that as well. Edan. On the lighter side of things, <laughs> um, lately our apartment has had a bit of an ant problem. And I strongly believe that things on the outside should stay on the outside and not be on the inside of my apartment. It's become a daily check when we wake up and when we go out and come back into the apartment multiple times a day to just check if there are ants on the floor of the kitchen. And that's really fun. Today, none of the checks had any ants, which is great. But 
One day, Agnes is out of the apartment. She's at CPE at the hospital, and I'm going to make lunch. I step into the kitchen. I check for ants. I see lots of ants. This is early on in us finding ants in the kitchen. And I start just stepping on all these ants angrily. And I keep finding more, no matter how many I step on, to the point where I literally just start yelling at nobody but maybe the ants. And yeah, um, I didn't expect to yell at ants that day. And what did I learn from it? That I, more strongly than I thought, do I believe that ants should not be in my apartment. You and my mother would get along strongly. She also believes that things should be in the outside that belong on the outside. And I think that would be a very entertaining conversation. Haley, Stephanie, for people that want to continue the conversation with you, how can they best find or follow you? Stephanie, we'll start with you. So um, my Twitter, my pretty much like everything user is Steph Hausner at Steph Hausner, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You could find me at all those places. Uh, And that's probably the best. Amazing. And Haley, if people want to be in touch, how can they find you or how can they find out what JDCA is doing? Well, uh, our website is Jewish Dems, plural, because there are many of us, dot org. Uh, You can follow JDCA at US Jewish Dems. And my Twitter handle is my name, Haley Soifer. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Haley, Stephanie, for being here, for giving us so much insight into the political world. And as always, thank you, Gabe, for being hilarious and creating delicious drinks. Thank you, Idan, for ensuring that we will never have an ant problem in our apartment because you will make sure to scare them away with your yelling, but also for always being an incredible editor and producer. It's been a pleasure, and we are so, so excited to have smashed some ceilings with you with this portion of Hukats. Gabe, I found this episode to be really inspiring, especially on the heels of last week's episode. You know, we went from Korok, this idea of what rebellion looks like and what makes a just rebellion. And Amelia said a just rebellion is one that values life. It's one that values humanity. And listening to Haley tonight talk about these Jewish values of justice and equality for all and and those not being just Jewish, but truly American values as well, made even those who might not be so politically inclined, aka myself, feel like they could follow along and really get connected to a movement like that. Absolutely. I I think that for those of us who really do kind of enjoy politics, not that politics is in any way enjoyable, but those of us who are kind of masochistic in our interest in politics. We have this idea in our heads that politics is something that happens in Washington, that happens in the state house, that happens in capital cities, when we know that the politics that really matters to people happens at home. That the politics that really affects people's lives are the things that really touch us deeply whether it's our children's education or who funds the roads we drive on. That's not to say that the big picture isn't important, but rather to say that those things need to coexist, that we need to be able to uh, say a just rebellion is one that values life and really look toward revolution and being radical in some way. But we also need to look toward the practical and we also need to be able to say, you know what, that's a red heifer and we're going to put that on the back burner, but it's going to stay there and it's going to be a goal to which we aspire.
So whether you're moving with us from the rebellious Ricky to the double staff on the rocks, or if it's just kind of a, you know, drink your water out of a wine glass kind of evening, for everybody listening in, for everybody hydrating at home, we wish you l'chaim. L'chaim. Stephanie Hausner, and you're listening to Drinking and Joshing, Torah with a Twist. This week, the Israelites ran out of water, so you might as well grab a glass of wine. Mm-hmm.